We're continuing in this series today. It's called To Gather, and it's a, two, it's a three-part series. We got to part number two of our three-part series, um, and today I want to ask you a question. How many of you ever suffer from the Monday morning blues? You want to raise your hand? Wow, so there's some of you here, you don't suffer from the Sunday, Monday morning blues. I don't know what your secret is. Like, I, I would love to know. Maybe it's pills. Maybe it's alcohol. I don't know. But, uh, but the majority of people suffer from the Monday morning blues. So this week, I, uh, I, I suffered from the Monday morning blues. So I woke up on Monday morning, and I was just feeling a little funky. I'm not sure what was going on. But uh, I felt like there was this crowd um, over me, uh, this cloud over me. I don't know if it had something to do with the weather that was going on this week or not, but uh, uh, I, I suffer from these Monday morning blues. And so um, what I uh, discovered, I went through Monday and even through this week, it was like a funny week. So Monday night, I uh, got home, we had uh, dinner and we were sitting around our dinner table and my wife turned to me and she said, how was your day? I was like, you know, it wasn't such a good day. And she was like, why? She goes, I don't know. I just, just, didn't feel good today. I just felt down. I felt a little discouraged about stuff that was going on. I'm like, I'm not sure what was going on at all. And so we started talking. And as we started talking, she started encouraging me. And uh, as she started encouraging me, suddenly I could sense that that fog of discouragement that was over my head started to lift. And as it started to lift, I started to feel a whole lot better about myself. And often that happens with the Monday morning blues, that they come and then somebody will encourage us and they will lift. And I've been thinking a lot lately just in relation to that, because this is what happens with the Monday morning blues. The Monday morning blues makes you want to quit. Monday morning blues makes you want to give up. It makes you not want to progress further and go on further to where you are in, in, in your present life. And so, so what I've been thinking about a lot lately, I've been thinking about just other pastors and other leaders and other people that I know who just over the last years have like fallen along the wayside. Like I've been thinking about my own spiritual journey and the places that I'm going in my spiritual journey. And I've been thinking about other people who are on a similar path to what I am. And they've been falling along on the wayside of the road and they have not finished where they were, or they finished the race or the journey that they're on. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I am uh, in my descending years towards 40. And so I'm not there yet. I've still got maybe a couple of years, but I'm descending towards 40. And I was talking to my dad the other day, and my dad says, you know, they statistically say that at the age of 40, your brain starts to disintegrate. I'm like, great, that's what I got to look forward to. But then I had to come back. I'm like, dad, well, yours must be messed up then already right now. So I was like, but then it suddenly hit me. Oh, my word, I'm at the peak of my brain. I'm like, is this it? Is this all there is? I'm like, oh, no. But as I've been thinking about descending, into my 40s, suddenly I've started thinking more and more about my own journey and about the race that I'm on. And I think the Apostle Paul, he was in a similar kind of spot when he wrote to a church in a city called Philippi. And this is what he said. He said in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he said, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. 
but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So this is what Paul is basically saying. He's saying that that we're in this race, in this journey of life, this race, and it's getting to the end that's important. So forget what's behind Look forward to the future and press on so that you reach the future. And it's in those discouraging times, those Monday morning blues, that I've started to understand what behind me doesn't matter. What behind me doesn't matter. But in fact, actually finishing the race is the thing that matters. Finishing this journey of faith is what matters. And I've decided I don't want to just barely get over the line. You know those people who run marathons and they think that they can sprint for 26 miles. And at mile 13, they're just on the floor like crawling. You know, and they're getting like 10 hours later than everybody else. And they crawl over the line. I think there was like this Seinfeld episode once where like Kramer was like on this walk. And he got beat up on the way. And everybody had gone home. And there's like three, four hours later you see Kramer like just coming over the line like crawling and stuff I don't want to be like that I want to be someone who sprints to the finish line. Now, we got a guy in our church called Halawi. He's spoken a couple of times here. He's from Ethiopia. He is not here today. He is in Oklahoma, so I can say this. And because he's from Ethiopia, I think Kenyan runners are way better than Ethiopian runners. So if you know him and you see him, don't tell him I said that. But this is what I'm impressed by the Kenyans. Like, the Olympics are going to be this summer, and you're going to find that there are people who, for whatever reason, decide, to run like distances that no human being was meant to run like anything over 100 meters I don't think anyone was meant to run but there's these people but then the Kenyans they run these crazy long races and then they see the end in in, in sight and they sprint towards it it's amazing to see that I want to be like that in my journey of faith I want to sprint towards the end and What I've discovered in my life is that my life actually is a lot more important than what I give it credit for. Now, all my life, I've, there's a scripture in the Bible that says this. It says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but, it, but basically prefer other, others to yourself. Basically prefer others in love to yourself. And so I've always thought that, like, well, others are more important than me. But as I've descended towards this 40-year mark, I suddenly started realizing my life is actually more important than what I thought. And this is why. Because if I don't finish the race, I'm going to have a direct impact on my wife's race. My wife's race is going to be impacted. Her journey of faith is going to be impacted if I don't finish the race. And what that means, that my wife will impact people in her life that I will never impact. And so if I impact her race, then their lives are going to be impacted as well. I have a little one-year-old who some days he is the joy of my life. Other days, I'm like, I'm surprised I've got any hair left at all because he is just like crazy and wired and all over the place. 
But I've started to understand that if I don't finish this journey of faith that I'm on, then I'm going to have not only just an impact on his life, but I'm going to have a major impact on his journey of faith. I whisper to my son every day, Evan, God has got a plan for you. God has got a plan for you. I believe God has got great things. I think Evan's going to do more in his life for the purposes of God than whatever I have been able to do myself. I believe God's got great things for him. But if I don't finish the race, then his race is going to be impacted and all the people that he will impact will be impacted. And as a pastor, you know, we're, we can no longer really call ourselves like a new church or a church startup because we've been in it five years. I think that's it now. We can't use that terms anymore. And no longer are we like just a group of friends who get together and worship and, you know, do some outreaches together. Now I've started to realize that, man, I'm a pastor and what that means, that I have a direct influence on other people. And so if I don't finish my race, then others are going to be impacted as well. Now, some of you, if I don't finish the race, you're going to be fine. You're spiritually mature enough and you will be fine and you'll continue in your race but there's some of you you are underdeveloped in your faith or you are still learning the 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 walk of faith and if I don't finish my race then it could have a huge impact on your life and I've discovered that my life is more important than I thought and I got news for you today your life is way more important than you thought your journey of faith doesn't just impact you it impacts others as well. And so you are important. And this is the reason why we have to think with the end in mind, that we have to think about finishing the race set out before us. And this is why we need others in our life so that we can finish the race, because let's be honest, it's going to be very hard to do it alone. So I want to share two things with you today. And the first thing is this. We can do together more than what we could ever do alone. We can do together more than what we could ever do alone. You look at any successful business, any successful sports team, any successful nonprofit, any successful government, if that's even a word, successful government, any successful church, people who reach people, and you will find one thing in common. There is collaboration, there is teamwork, there are people who work together. This last week was the NFL draft. Lots of talented people who are going to earn millions of dollars every year who are going to be drafted and they've been drafted and they're going to play in the National Football League. Many years ago, there was a guy who was drafted who was a gifted, gifted guy. His name is Terrell Owens. Anyone heard of Terrell Owens? Right. You remember that guy? He is probably one of the most gifted football players that we will ever see grace a football field. One of the best wide receivers you will ever see. He had more potential, more ability, more talent than than 10 other wide receivers. If he was on your team, then there was the ability to reach the Super Bowl. That's how good he was. But yet, T.O. finished his career without the one thing that he desired most, and that was a Super Bowl ring. He got real close one time, he got to the Super Bowl, but he never got that Super Bowl ring. People far less talented, far uh, less gifted than him have got a Super Bowl ring, and this is the reason why. T.O. thought it was all about him, he thought he didn't need anybody else. 
And as gifted and as talented he was, he could only get so far, but he couldn't get the ultimate prize because he needed other people around him. See, many coaches said he was just a disruptive influence on the dressing room. They said that he just couldn't work with others. There was disunity and discord in the team when T.O. was around. No matter how gifted he was, he never succeeded to get the prize he wanted because he didn't value teamwork. And there were many gifted people in this world. But if you want to be a success in this life, it's not about your gifts and your talents. It's about wisdom. The wise are the people who are successful. And Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, said this. He said that two are better than one. Two are better than one. Two are better than one because two together you can make a difference. And when we live life alone, this is often what happens. We lose perspective. We start to think more highly of ourselves than we should. We focus on making things comfortable for our lives instead of making a difference in our lives. How many of you work out on a regular basis? Okay, so a few more than first service. And this is what I said first service. Maybe the Monday morning blues and what you're working out maybe like has something to do with each other. Like I don't really like working out at all. But this is what I've discovered with working out. If you work out alone, you can be diligent and you can do all you can for a certain period of time. But eventually you're going to give up. You need to work with other people. You need a workout buddy. Someone who can push you to another level. Why is it that CrossFit has become this incredible, amazing workout thing? Think about it. For those of you who don't know what CrossFit is, this is basically what it is. You pay a bunch of money each month to go to some stinky like warehouse that doesn't even look good. You lift things that really don't even look like, like exercise stuff. Like they spend the least amount of money at all. But yet you've got all these people who are spending tons of money each month going to CrossFit. Why? Because it's all about collaboration and doing stuff together because we understand that we can do more together than what we could ever do alone so I ask you today who in your life is pushing you who is pushing you to go further who is pushing you to become more Christ-like who is pushing you to pray more who is pushing you to serve more who is pushing you to, to to step out in faith more in your life who are the people who are pushing you See, we can do more together than we can do alone. And this is why, because together we sharpen each other. Proverbs 27 verse 17 tells us this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Notice what he says here, the writer of Proverbs. What is it that sharpens iron? It's iron. It's not something, it's not some other material, it's iron. And what sharpens a friend? What sharpens you as a human being? What would sharpen humanity? It's not computers or Apple or an iPhone. It's other humans. See, we need each other to sharpen ourselves. Otherwise, you'll be dull uh, and you won't be effective. And I'll be honest, I don't want to be dull in my life. You know, I know sometimes I may be dull, but I don't want to be dull in my life. I want to be sharp. See, iron uses its own element to sharpen itself and and I am statistically an introvert, and I know this is hard for me because sometimes I think I can do it by myself. But the reality is I can't. I need other people to sharpen me. See, we can do more together than what we could ever do alone. And this is why, because unity is the key to strength. 
Unity is the key to strength. Look at this in Psalm 133. I'll read verses 1 and 3. It says this, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Or another translation, when brothers live together in unity. And then we'll skip verse 2 and then go to verse 3. And it says this, Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And then it says this, And there, in the place of unity, when people are united together in harmony, and there the Lord has pronounced His blessing even life everlasting. If you want to experience the blessings of God, blessings are found in unity, where you are united together. You're not trying to do a TO and you're all by yourself, but it's united together in harmony with others. See, unity is the key to strength. And the more we become dependent on each other, the more we can do. Solomon said this, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. Why? Because you've got three cords now that are intertwined with each other. They are dependent on each other and together they are stronger than anything that they are on their own. And as a church and as believers of Jesus Christ and as people on this faith journey, no matter what level that you are on, the more we become united together as believers, the stronger together we become, the more we show the world that there is love light in this world and his name is Jesus. See, we can do together more than what we can do alone because others help us see beyond our nose. How many of you have ever tried to proofread your own writing? Remember when you went to school? Maybe some of you were still in school, right? Tried to proofread your own writing. How did you get on? I bet if you gave that to someone else, someone else found a bunch of mistakes. I remember I failed a couple of papers at college. I'll be honest and transparent with you. I failed a couple of papers at college because I failed to let other people proofread my writing. Even like this morning, I was going through my sermon notes and there were some things I'm like, what did I write here? I'm like, what does this even mean? You know, because sometimes we write things and then we'll read over and read over and read over and we don't see our own mistakes at all. That's why, just a word of advice, this is free advice for you today. If you're in college or school and you're doing a paper, then let somebody else proofread it for you and read it. I know it's hard, you don't like it, but do it. See, this is why I've discovered creativity is lost when it's just I. But creativity goes through the roof when there's other people uh, around. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, it tells us this. Colossians 3, 16 says, Let us think about Christ in all its riches. Fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that Jesus Christ gives. Sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Notice he says, he says, teach and counsel each other. He doesn't say, hey, just let the the wise, the elders, the people who have been to seminary, let them teach and counsel you. No, teach and counsel each other other. This is why, because when it's all about what we think, our own teachings, our own counsel, we can't see beyond our nose. But when we start to get the perspective of other people, we start to understand there is a whole new world out there. I don't care what line of work that you are in. 
where your life is heading, what your desires for life is, this is one thing I would always advise anybody, whether they're on a Christian journey of faith or they're just a business person. Get yourself some mentors, some coaches, and some counselors. Because you cannot see everything yourself. You need other people to come and counsel you. Tiger Woods, when he was the best golfer in the whole world, you know, before like an, an incident happened with a 9-9 and his wife and, a, you know, we won't go there. But when he was the best golfer in the world, he still believed in coaches. And he started getting new coaches just to make himself better and better. Because he realized that it's not just what I see, it's what others see as well. And personally, me... Just as a pastor, I have people in my life who are coaching me. I have people who are coaching me and mentoring me as a pastor. People who are coaching and mentoring me as a leader. And even in my bivocational job that I have outside of Generation Church, I have someone who's coaching me in sales. Because I understand I can't do it by myself. I need other people around. And it's in the environment of togetherness that we can accomplish so much more together than what we could ever do alone. And as a church, we have a huge vision for taking the gospel and the message and the good news of Jesus Christ in tangible ways to our community, our county, our state, our nation, and to the four corners of the world. But we can't do it alone. We need each other. We have to do it together. I also believe in small groups and and I love small groups, but I also believe in ministry groups and outreach groups. I believe when people get together and they work towards a common purpose. So this morning, first service and then this service, over in the house over there where all the kids are, there are a group of people who are working together to help disciple your children and help your children get on a path when they start to understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has been unshakable for 2,000 years, instead of trying to go and lean with the current and the conditions of our culture of today which is probably going to change tomorrow they're working together to create a path for your children and they're working with you as parents so that your children can be raised in an environment where they are exposed to the message of Jesus Christ see I believe that that generation will do far more for the purposes of Jesus than whatever our generation have been able to do But it's because people are working together. We have people on a Sunday morning who work to create an environment here so that you can not just experience the presence of Jesus and the realness of Jesus Christ, but you also experience a place that you can call home. And and if you are new here or if you are new-ish, then I will say to you this morning, welcome home. Because we want to welcome you into into this place as as like a second home to you. But we have people who are working towards that. We have people who work in outreach groups to help the poor and the needy and and the hurt and the distressed. This uh, July, uh, over July weekend and and, and a few days into that week, we are going to be sending a team of people down to South Carolina. For those of you who don't know, Last year, there was incredible floods in South Carolina and there were homes and there were communities that were destroyed because of the floods. You've seen on the news the last couple of weeks, all the rain and the floods that have happened in Texas. And there's going to be devastation. Well, that happened last year in South Carolina and many people don't even remember it. 
And so one of the guys in our church, Brian, is going to be leading a team down and it's going to cost $200. That's it for the whole week. I'm like, you're not going to be staying at the Hilton, but it's going to be cheap anyway. So, but he's leading a team down there to help in those efforts because together we can do more than what we can do alone. And if you are interested in joining him and joining others uh, that week, and many of you will be on vacation anyway or off from work, then uh, then on May 15th, we're going to have a meeting after second service for those who are interested. So note that in your calendars if you are interested in going on a real short missions trip where you don't need a passport and you don't have to worry about the Zika virus. And so mark that in, in your calendars. See, together we can do more than what we could ever do alone. In fact, together we can reach the world. Second thing I want to say today, final thing I want to say. Together we can go further than what we can go alone. Together we can go further than what we can go alone. This life of faith isn't just about doing, it's also about going. We have said many times in this church and from this stage and in our groups that we are on a spiritual journey. How sad would it be if we achieved so much, but we could not finish the race? That would be so sad. See, alone you have a greater chance of not finishing than you do if you stand in unity with your brother or sister. Last week, we gave a scripture and it was... Uh, Hebrews 10 verse 25 and it says this it says do not neglect your gathering together as some have but encourage one another in love encourage one another in love and and even though we've met here together as a church to worship God together the second part of our the purpose of coming together is to encourage one another encourage each other I am someone who needs encouragement I have decided that I have two love languages. For those of you who don't know, there's a book out there called The Five Love Languages. I've really actually never read it all the way through, but I know the love languages, and I've decided for myself, I know what my love language is. I don't care what the book says, this is what my love language is. My first one is encouragement, words of affirmation, they call it. I need people to encourage me. So if you say to me after church, Alex, your hair is looking amazing today, I'm going to feel on top of the world, right? If you say to me, Alex, wow, your hair just looks bad. I'm going to be like, man, today was the worst day ever. <laughs> right, because encouragement is what I like. I like it when people say, Ray, great job. You're doing great. I love that. My second one is the works of service. You know, when people do stuff for me. You know, if I could like lie in bed and people bring me like breakfast in bed and, and clean the house for me and do all my work. Oh, my word. They would be my best friend for life, you know. You don't want to see me in bed, so I wouldn't advise doing that. So, But encouragement and works of service. But I need encouragement. And just being transparent with you this morning, if I feel discouraged, then I feel like I want to quit. But when I feel encouraged, I feel we can do so much more. Thessalonians chapter, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul said this, So encourage one another and build each other up. Just as you're already doing. Encourage one another. Build each other up. So this morning we're going to do that. We're going to do something that is very on-generation church-like. And if you are an introvert today, you probably are going to like have sweats after doing this. 
And we're going to, and if you're new, this is something we don't normally do, but I want us to encourage one another today. So we're going to put a scripture on the screen. It's found in Joshua chapter one and verse nine, Joshua chapter one and verse nine. And this is what the scripture said. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you may go. So the first thing we're going to do two things this morning. The first thing is this, we're going to read this together. So, like, outside voice, we're actually going to, like, say something. So, okay, don't, feel, don't be afraid. Nothing's going to happen to you. So we're going to read it together. So on the count of three, I want us to read it together. Okay, so one, two, three. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay? So good job on that one. So the second part, this is what we're going to do. I want you to stand to your feet. I heard an oh no there. <laughs> Don't you love it? So this is what I want you to do. I want you to find three or four people and I want you to say to them, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord is with you wherever you will go. So you can circulate the room and go up to three or four people and say that to them. How did that feel? Did that feel good? See, this is, what, this is what we just did. In the book of First Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he writes about all the promises of God. And in the promises of God, he says that, you know, God, Jesus Christ is coming again. He won't leave you. That, you know, you have salvation through grace. God forgives you. And then he says this right at the end in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. He says, so encourage each other with these words. And what you just did this morning, you did what Paul said to the Thessalonians. You encourage each other with the words of be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. That's what you did. You encouraged and you built each other up just by saying the promises of God to each other. See, if we're not building each other up, then eventually we're going to be knocked down. And part of your role today is to build each other up. To build each other up. See, without encouragement, we all stop moving. Without encouragement, we quit running. Without encouragement, we will let the bad weather days, like today, or the Monday morning blues that some of you get tomorrow, you'll let them overwhelm you. As we finish today, I want to read a story to you. A story is taken from a book by a man called Jim Collins. Jim Collins, New York Times bestseller, and he wrote a book called Good to Great. If you are in business, I would encourage you, read that book, one of the best books ever. But he wrote a sequel called Great by Choice. And in that sequel, he gave an illustration of the race to the South Pole that happened in 1911. There were two teams of people. There was an English guy, yeah, called Scott, and there was a Norwegian guy uh, called Ambenson. And they both had teams and they were racing to become the first human beings to reach the South Pole. And this is what Jim Collins said about it. The round trip trek was roughly 1,400 miles. The equivalent of the distance from New York to Chicago and back. The environment was uncertain and unforgiving where temperatures could easily reach 20 degrees below zero Fahrenheit even during the summer. I don't want to hear anyone complain about 60 degrees in May. They had no means of modern communication, no cell phones, no satellite links, no radio. 
A rescue would have been improbable if there was an error. One leader led his team to victory and safety. The other led his team to defeat and death. Admundson prepared rigorously for years in advance of the journey. He learns what, work in, uh, what worked in the polar conditions, going as far as living with the Eskimos to learn how they moved in sub-zero temperatures, what they wore, and review, reviewed every conceivable situation that his team might encounter en route to the South Pole. He trained his body and mind with incredible discipline. He chose people who valued unity. He took his best person, his best explorer, whose name was Johansson, and he fired him because he quarreled too much with the others and destroyed the unity of the team. Scott presents quite a contrast to Amundsen. His preparation was limited, and what plans he made were based on his own initiative and conclusions, rather than direct research of the environment he was entering. Admundson stored three tons of supplies for five men. So Admundson took five men with him versus Scott, who stored one ton of supplies for 17 men. So we got five men versus 17. Admundson used sled dogs, learned from the Eskimos, where Scott used motor sledges. So we had modern appliance, modern things Scott did, and Admundson used the old way. They were unproven, the motor sledges, and they failed within days of the journey. Admundson carried enough supplies to miss every single supply depot and still have enough to go 100 miles. Scott ran everything dangerously close to his calculations so that missing every one, every one of the supply depots or any one of the supply depots would bring disaster. A single detail aptly highlights the difference between their approaches. Scott brought one thermometer for a key altitude measurement, and when it exploded, he had an outburst of wrath. Admundsen brought four devices. The divergence in preparation goes on and on. Unlike Scott, Admundsen systematically built enormous buffers for unseen events. He designed the entire journey to systematically reduce the role of big forces and chance events. He presumed that bad events would strike his team wherever along the journey and he prepared for them. On December 15, 1911, Admundsen and his team reached the South Pole and his teammates planted the Norwegian flag and then went right back to work. They could have not known that Scott and his team were now desperately man-hauling their sleds fully 360 miles behind. More than a month later, Scott found himself staring at the Admundsen's flag in the South Pole. Admundsen had already traveled 500 miles back north. Scott and his team turned back to the north dejected and discouraged. Just as the season began to turn, the already menacing weather turned more severe while supplies dwindled and Scott and his men struggled through the snow. Admundsen and his team reached home on January 25th, the precise day he planned. Running out of supplies, Scott and his team stalled till mid-March, exhausted and depressed. Eight months later, a British exploring party found the frozen bodies of Scott and two teammates in a four-long snowdrift little tent 
just 10 miles short of his supply depot. The whole team had perished, all 17. Just as striking a difference between the preparations of the two men was the discipline of Admonton to press forward in bad weather and to hold his team back in good weather. Throughout the journey, Admonton adhered to a regiment of consistent progress, never going too far in good weather, careful to stay away from the red line of exhaustion that could leave his team exposed, yet pressing ahead in nasty weather to stay on pace. Admonson throttled back his well-tuned team to travel between 15 and 20 miles per day in a relentless march to 90 degrees south. When a member of Admonson's team suggested they could go faster, up to 25 miles, an hour, miles a day, Admonson said no. They needed rest and sleep as to continually replenish their energy. In contrast, Scott would sometimes drive his team to exhaustion on good days and then sit in his tent and complain about the weather on bad days. At one point, Scott faced six days of gale force winds and traveled on none, where Admonson faced 15 days of gale force winds and he traveled on eight of them. Admonson clocked in at the South Pole right on his predicted or predecided pace, having averaged 15.5 miles per day. Scott, in contrast, fell behind early with no plan of a daily pace, and as the conditions worsened, enhanced by his lack of preparation for unseen events, he and his team never recovered. In December, Scott wrote in his journal about being stopped by a blizzard. I doubt, he said, if any party could travel in such weather. But when Admonson faced the same conditions to Scott, he wrote in his journal, it has been an unpleasant day. Storm, drift, and frostbite, but we have advanced 13 miles closer to our goal. One team had five people, the other had 17. One had all the modern appliances. One just had some know-how and some wisdom. The one team reached their goal, finished the race and survived. The other fell by the wayside. What is the difference between these two exceptional explorers? Well, the one valued others. They valued teamwork. They valued preparation. And they valued slow, constant progress. Where the other adhered to emotion and the conditions that surrounded him. One fell, the other gave up. Let me ask you in the race, the tortoise and the hare, who won? The tortoise. Every single time. It's not about how much we can do at a quick time. It's about every day slowly going on and on and moving on. Whether the conditions are good or the conditions are bad. It's about moving on 15 miles a day each time. I'm going to ask the band to come back. And as the band come back, I want us to be encouraged together today because together we can do more than what we could ever do alone. And the reason that we come together is because we need each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to sharpen each other. We need to come together in unity And we need each other to get new perspective. I encourage you today, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, no matter where you are in life right now, 
to not give up. You may be in a place in your life right now where you feel that you just want to give up. Because the bad weather days are just too much. But I encourage you, step forward just another 15 miles. And do that day after day. Whether tomorrow you wake up and you feel on top of the world or tomorrow you wake up and you feel the Monday morning blues. It doesn't matter. Get up and continue. Get up and walk another 15 miles. Encourage one another. Lift each other up. Build each other up so that we can finish the race. Let us be like Paul, forgetting what is behind. I look forward to the future and I press on towards the goal. And that is to finish the race and one day be united with our Savior in heaven. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning, some of you, you're going through a bad weather day right now. You're going through a blizzard of life where life is just throwing stuff at you. You may be going through a blizzard in your relationships, a blizzard in your marriage, a blizzard in your finances, maybe a blizzard in your health. You may be going through a bad weather day in your emotions and you just feel like giving up. You feel like the weight and the, uh, of, of life and, the, uh, and, and just life beating at you. And you feel like you just can't go on. But I encourage you today, look forward to the prize. 